The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brennan Store. I'm Paul Bestall. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 170. And we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. Paul, my friend, I think this will be released after you and I have met each other for the first time. Yes. <laughs> this could be the last episode of the Ghost Ray guys. We <laughs> could defeat each other in single combat like Superman and Doomsday. <laughs> More like Sub-Zero and Scorpion. I like that better. I couldn't. Yeah, I was trying to think of a good Marvel Comics version of that i couldn't think of anything but mortal kombat's the way to go <laughs> finish him yeah yeah get over We're here just, the fatality is just us drinking stupid drinking ourselves stupid clamato <laughs> <laughs> fatality <laughs> i gotta go get some of that before i leave tomorrow good for you <laughs> that's a high man man that's my i'm all right i'm just saying i think clamato is becoming my garlic for vampires thing <laughs> it, it has again it's caught on more than anything i've done in this show so uh fuck it every episode clamato the end <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm i'm all good just got a few uh i've got a a, a chunk of it to to rewrite ready for that so i'm looking forward to it being on the the penultimate presentation on the sunday but uh yeah i'm uh, i'm i'm excited and nervous but looking forward to doing it very cool well, i'm i'm very excited to see it I, I'm basically going to have to, uh, I, I have to meet people in London that night. So basically I'm going to stay till you're at the end of your presentation, pat you on the back three times and then fuck off for the train. So <laughs> <laughs> it'll be a quick thing, but I'm, I'm, and we'll have the weekend hangout, of course. So yeah. I'm very much looking forward to that, man. And I guess it, you're keeping under wraps the subject. Yes. Okay. I am, but it's, it's paranormal and it's to do with a subject very close to my heart. Interesting. How can you get a whole conversation out of me? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you'll, you'll be amazed. I have no doubt. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. I'm looking forward yes. to it. And I then um, and then I can start 
finishing focusing on getting the book done and and getting the the new mysteries and monsters conference for next summer planned so cool yes as as i was walking home from work today suddenly a thought popped into my head because i was thinking maybe the end of june and then i thought it's football's on paul it's the european championships yeah what do you think in your vessel yes and obviously because england are going to win it i've got to you know take steps so I'm, i'm going to have to re consider the date but we'll see i mean it is cheaper to travel in the shoulder seasons <laughs> i will say well yeah 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 we'll, we'll see it won't be during school holidays anyway i've got tentatively about 10 people very cool that's a hell of a roster so you're thinking like across a few days or a single day i think a single day thing um maybe doing two maybe do either very friday cool. saturday or saturday sunday we'll see all right and i've got oh, some man. uh some big hitters i believe it I believe it. I am very excited for that. I again, like I said when we talked about it on the live show, I will do my damnedest to be present. Mm, that would be very nice. So yeah, I'm just, I'm not. I, I, it's all, it's all bubbling there in the head, and so it, it will not. I'm keeping it off the boil until September the fifth, and then we'll, uh, we'll get planning. All right. Well, keep an eye out, folks. The Mysteries and Monsters Conference coming next year. I have no doubt it's going to be very, very cool. I, I'm excited already, and it's it's a whole year away. <laughs> As for me, I am uh, a couple things. I'm getting ready to make another move. Uh, mm. I'm going to go to, I think, probably southern Ontario this time. Uh, and um, I'm probably on maybe a little more permanent basis than I was before. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, so I'll be looking for work, things like that, hopefully buying a car. But uh, yeah, so that's exciting. Uh, I'm going to start looking at places basically when I'm in the UK because we're leaving tomorrow. So I'll start looking while I'm there. And uh, folks, yeah, listeners, if you know anyone who's looking to rent out an apartment, uh, preferably a furnished apartment, in London, Ontario, some starting in October, hit me up, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. You know a very reliable guy. And he is, he is looking, for again, preferably for a furnished place to start. So yeah, so that's, that's the, big, the big news, really, is that I'm, I'm gearing up for that. And again, my plan is to, uh, Montreal was never going to be able like a workable long-term thing just because the Quebec government makes it very difficult to relocate there. And Nick would never be able to find work, uh, because of the language requirements, but Ontario, that would be much easier. So my hope is to, like I said, establish a beachhead and then gradually lure her out there with a the promise of, of government work. We shall see, but we are not here to talk about my travel plans. We are here to tell scary stories and we have a great lineup of listener stories for you. This episode is entitled Black Wings, and that is because it contains a listener story involving, um, I'm not going to say a dream. It, it seems to be a, a creature, but kind of manifest, it, the person saw it in their minds, I believe, but I believe they also heard it in person. And we just coincidentally had a listener drop something on the Facebook group. And if you're not on the Ghost Story Guys Facebook group, if you're still on Facebook, we encourage you to come by just uh, sign up. We'll approve you real quick. We had to do that because of bots. But we had someone drop a link in there yesterday about a bird creature. And I thought, what a great coincidence. So we only have the one bird creature story this time around, but it is a really fascinating one. And along with several very, very interesting listener stories. I've got something marvelous up my sleeve. I've got an incredible story from the UK from 1963. Now I'm very excited. All right, because we're recording this episode well in advance, we don't have any patron shout-outs, but if you have signed up between, I would say, August, uh, what's, so August 17th 
And whenever you're hearing this, you will be thanked on the next main show. Again, we're recording this well in advance uh, of me going to England because the weekend this would ordinarily be worked on is the weekend that Paramate is happening. So I will be putting this together early. So again, if you sign up for Patreon after August 17th, we will we deeply appreciate it. And we will thank you on the next main show. But just a reminder, if you want ad-free episodes, all kinds of cool bonus content and uh, exclusive lives with me and Paul, head to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. That's patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. And you can also get the bonus shows plus the ad-free episodes as part of GSG Premium via Apple Podcasts. And you can sign up to that via your Apple Podcasts app. Shout out to our composer, Jerry Smith. Jerry's a musician and film journalist from Central California. His new project, Street Witch, is available on streaming platforms everywhere. And also, Jerry, he thought he had put Rainy Days for Ghosts to bed, but then he was inspired to make another single. So there will be a new Rainy Days for Ghosts single coming out soon. You'll be hearing it on the next Talk Spooky. And uh, yeah, also follow Rainy Days for Ghosts on streaming platforms everywhere. All right, my friend, it is time for the stories. Ape-like, from Travis. Hey, fellas. I was a bit behind in my listening and just got caught up and wanted to reach out after your remarks in episode 162. One of your stories included a dog-like creature that had ape-like characteristics and moved like an ape. Brennan, all the way back in 2018 when I first emailed the show, I told you about an experience I had with a similar cryptid in rural suburban Michigan. Now, my first letter was pretty much book-length, so I wouldn't expect you to recall any of this. The incident with seeing this ape-like thing is one of the most vivid, unexplained experiences of my life, and it felt good to hear episode 162 and learn that someone else had seen a similar creature, just a different color. I found the original email and copy and pasted my lengthy description below if you're interested in rereading it. Oh, lastly, Brennan, if you come back to London, Ontario, or thereabouts, let me know. It's only two hours away from me. Okay. Thanks, guys. Take it easy. Well, good news, Travis. I will be there. Travis goes on to say, I am not into cryptozoology. It's never really been my thing, even though I have a strong interest in animals. The branch of history I spend most of my time in is environmental history, and I pay close attention to both animals and how humans and their governments have treated those animals. As my childhood experience with Aaron and the orb or UFO or what the fuck ever, I trusted my eyes more when I had someone else with me who could verify that we had seen something. In this case, it was my then-girlfriend Cassie. It was around 2006. And in the spirit of honesty, there is no reason you or anybody else should believe what I say. We had both been awake for a long time, and had flown from Amsterdam back home to Michigan that day, and attended a fairly mellow graduation party that night, where we both had a couple of beers. We were extremely tired, and I probably should not have been driving, more from lack of sleep than a couple of beers. So you can maybe take what I say here with a grain of salt. Cassie, for her part, confirmed we had both seen an animal we could not possibly name, but she wanted little to do with the topic afterwards. When I would bring it up later, for the most part, she would ask me why I kept wanting to talk about it, that it was something we should just forget. But unlike most of the experiences I recounted for you here, this was something I never forgot. However tired I was, despite the beers, this particular instance stands out far and away as the most lucid and undeniable of all the unexplainable events I've ever experienced. The party we'd attended wasn't far from Cassie's house, 
and we were able to take unpaved back roads there and back. As we drove back to her place, I noticed the high summer foliage on the side of the dirt road, the edges of which rose into something of a ridge, as if I was driving my Ford Focus along a long, car-sized rut. I noticed the weeds to my left rustle in the glow of my headlights, and as I was already driving at a snail's pace due to the severe washboarding of the road, it took little effort to raise my foot from the gas and cruise to an almost stop. Look at that, I said to Cassie, and then the sentence just died in my mouth, because I found myself unable to say whatever that was. In fact, I'm not even entirely sure I was able to say the sentence out loud. I was just stumped as my brain struggled to make sense of what the hell I was seeing. As the tall grass parted, an animal, roughly three feet tall, emerged. It was the color of, and appeared to have the fur and texture, of a deer, but it was no deer. It walked on its hind legs, almost upright, but possessed disproportionately long front limbs with which it assisted its gait, pulling itself forward. It frankly moved like some sort of ape or other primate. It had a longish nose, its eyes were large, pitch black, and reflected no glow from the headlights as it strolled from one side of the embankment to the other. What the fuck was that? One or both of us said, and there was a lot of profanity and puzzlement and sputtering, but in the end we just went back to her house and went to sleep. And when I tried to tell other people about it, they were quick to tell me it was a coyote or a fox or a raccoon with mange. I have looked at pictures, and I don't believe that was the case, mostly because of the way it carried itself. An escaped chimpanzee that was maybe an albino or had mange? I suppose that's possible, and probably more likely than some sort of uncategorized mammal wandering the woods of near-suburban southeast Michigan. Regardless, what I saw was not anything I've ever been able to categorize. So thank you, Travis, and obviously, Paul, I am desperate to know what you think of this. I have no clue. Interesting. This does not sound familiar to you. No, it, it sounds very different to anything I could even try and explain it away as. Um, I mean, obviously, somebody who has a deep interest in animals and biology can tell you how a creature moves. You can, you know, you, you can tell a, a, a creature from the, the way it walks or the way it carries itself or the way it stands, even the way it lays. And f the, the description just doesn't match, especially with the size the dark eyes. It's peculiar. Yeah. And folks, I, I won't, I won't blow Travis up and, and say who he is, but Travis is, is, uh, is an academic. So he's not, uh, he's, I mean, not again, we talked a little bit about this sort of this assumption that some you know, people who have these experiences are maybe a little bit dimmer than others. That's obviously not the case generally. And Travis is an academic. He is not given to just random flights of fancy. He's not that kind of person. So I, I trust his, I trust his judgment on this, which makes it all the more bizarre. Yeah, it doesn't fit into any category, especially Michigan, because there are lots of stories. Most people will say Michigan's most famous cryptid is obviously the Dogman. There's a lot of Bigfoot sightings. Neither of those two creatures sound anything like what Travis saw. So this couldn't be some... I guess, yeah, I guess if it's three feet tall, it doesn't sound anything like we, we think of Bigfoot. I mean, it could be a juvenile, but most of the time people will report eye shine in uh, Right, Bigfoot of encounters. course. Same, with, same as Dogman. So, and... The, the the southern part of of, of Michigan isn't renowned a, a hotbed of of cryptid activity, and most of the, the the cryptid sightings tend to be towards the north of the state. You know, obviously where Elkhorn and and places like that, and Bigfoot's being reported all across Michigan around the Great Lakes areas, and and spreading into 
either county, uh, either state on on both the east and the west sides of it. So when I when I read the the report from Travis, I just I, you know I couldn't place it. I couldn't find anything that sounded remotely similar. Um, it it is it it is strange, and and therefore it would be it would be daft of me to try and explain it away with an existing cryptid or, or as Travis says, it doesn't look like any of the creatures that people put forward, which is always the same, you know. It's always a coyote with mange. Brand getting out of the shower. We know, we know, we get it. <laughs> well, at least, at least they didn't say it was a chupacabra. I've never had any particular affinity for goats. Let's not start that rumor. <laughs> That's not what it said on that wall that time. <laughs> yeah, but you put it there. It oh, doesn't count. Yeah. That's true. Sorry about that. I forgot. <laughs> One thing that occurred to me just before we head on to the next story. Remember on the Toronto episode, we talked about Mimigwezi, the, uh, the the little people, the river people in in Toronto. And I mean, geographically, if you take away the border, it, it, and I, now I, I haven't been there, so I'm a little bit talking out my ass here, but isn't that all sort of similar topographically? Sort of oh, yeah, southern yeah, yeah. Ontario into northern southern Michigan? Yeah, well, most of the northern U.S. and the southern Can- Can- Canadian areas are, are are essentially identical, really, in in topography and things. Right. So, so if, if if something like that is said to exist in the Toronto area, I wonder if it's impossible that such a thing could exist in southern Michigan. You know, again, this idea of like a a little person who's sort of like kind of like a magical creature, kind of living. I'd be curious to know if there's any water nearby, any you know rivers or lakes or streams, anything like that. Because again, I believe the Mimigwesi are said to exist in those areas. I suspect we may be able to locate something from the historical record of any tribes in the area. I would suspect that that would be the best place to start. Right. And see what Native American stories and uh, oral histories are available in that particular area and which particular tribe there. Because there are numerous tribes in North America that have stories of little hairy people as well as big hairy people. True. And, you know, you only have to think of um, Pugwudgies over in... Of course, um, yeah, yeah. In the Hockamock Swamp area. Yeah. <laughs> Gets me every time. Hock-a-mock, um <laughs> in my awful Boston accent. I love um, it. But, you know, there are little people stories from all around North America, uh, depending on certain tribes, but... Similarly, once again, these are tribes that never had any contact, and yet they all have very similar stories as they do about Bigfoot. Well, as we all know, Paul, they made them up. Of course they did. Of course they did. They just happened to all made up exactly the same things, just yeah, random like those, chance. It's like whenever we find uh, petroglyphs and things like that, and they've got 10 animals we all know, and then there's a Bigfoot, and they go, oh yeah, they've just, put that, they've just made that up, have they? <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they painted all license. these 10 animals that we know, and that one is made up. It's the only animal there that's made up because it's the only animal you refuse to admit exists. It, it's like, uh, you know, they say guys who make, people who make movies, they, they, kind of, they get to make the commercial project, one for, the, the, you know, for the, the studio, and then they get to do one for themselves and get, kind of do whatever the fuck they want. So that, that's what happened there. The guy, he's like, oh, here's all your animals. I did it. Here's your educational material. Done. Now I get to make one for me. Here's a big, hairy guy. That's just, just his slash fiction. Yes. You know, that's his, like his, his personal, like, uh, pictograph pornography. That's, yes. <laughs> that's his, that's Bigfoot erotica before there was erotica to write. Yes. Peter Jackson's The Frighteners. <laughs> the film he had to make to get the green light to do Lord of the Rings. Yep. That's exactly it. In <laughs> fairness, he really kind of managed to make that his own. I mean, that, that's a pretty fun movie. Yeah. I, it, it, I remember going to see it and thinking, because obviously I was a big fan of Jackson. 
his early work. Um, oh yeah, you know, I'm sure I've mentioned this before. I still still remember the reaction of somebody who came into the pub and said, "Oh yeah, yeah, we're talking about." I think we were talking about um, how brilliant the first Lord of the Rings films were, and I was saying, "Oh yeah, brilliant." I love Peter Jackson, and they'd seen Brain Dead, and um, oh, what's what's the other uh, bad taste? Bad taste. And I said, oh, have you seen Meet the Feebles? And he said, oh, no, no. I said, oh, Meet the Feebles? I said, it's a bit, you know, it's a bit near the knuckle, but, you know. Oh. <laughs> a week later, he came in. He went, the fucking hell's with that you told me to watch? I mean, what, what, what's going on here? There's a rat with AIDS. <laughs> uh, and terrorist animals and sexual assault and a, and a dirty fox. And drug addict puppets. What? What? It was like watching the Muppets on crack. <laughs> yeah, that's the idea. Yeah, it's a, it's a very strange film. Meet the Feebles, to say the least. <laughs> I love Brain Dead. It's still probably the greatest New Zealand horror film ever made. The only other one I can think of is Black Sheep. Yeah, off the top of my head. Mm. Um, I mean, obviously Australia's got a lot of great uh, horror stuff like Razorback and Body Ball. Melts and and Boar, of course. <laughs> Lake Mungo. I know Lake Mungo's popular. I don't love Lake Mungo. I think it's quite interesting. I would I, I wouldn't want to watch it again. I've watched it. Yeah. And, and yeah, same and, here. I, I would agree with that. I mean, it, it's based all based on one jump scare. That is essentially it. It's, a, it's an hour and forty minutes for one shit scary moment. <laughs> really. Whereas Razorback, you've just got this giant boar ripping everything to shreds. Oh, Razorback's a masterpiece. Oof, brilliant. A bloody thing. Shot it six times. Fuck, it's still coming. <laughs> I think Australian voice Paul is one of people's favorite, accent, favorite <laughs> accents on this show. And it, oh. I, I get it. Struth. That's great. <laughs> I'll tell the boys down at Yowie Yard all about that. That's brilliant. Thank you very much. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. The eyes have it from Hurley. Hey guys, I just started listening to your podcast a couple of weeks ago on my hour plus commute one way and I'm just devouring the episodes. I just wanted to reach out with a small story of my own. It has to do with the belief about praying for cleansing light to clean your house. I did something similar. I should start with saying I was not and still consider myself not very paranormally inclined. I believe there is stuff out there. I just haven't seen or I guess I haven't let myself be open to the paranormal. Shrugging it off as, well, that was weird, as I'm sure most of us do. Anyway, when I was about 12 or 13, I would have trouble falling asleep. Just a general feeling of something near in the shadows. The way I was able to fall asleep, and this was almost every night, was to envision myself encapsulated in a bubble. I thought of it as my dream spaceship. Some nights I would have to raise my arm straight up and I could almost feel the lid. But I would be wide awake, eyes pressed closed as tight as I could until my dream spaceship had completely surrounded me, almost like an eggshell. Now that I think of it, as most stories do, it has shaken loose some memories. 
This only happened in two houses. The first house was on Salt Spring Island and both my mother and sister swear they had seen blood on the walls in the living room of that house. The other one, and this would probably be the one time something freaked me out other than the feeling of someone behind you causing to speed up and almost run away, and that occurred on a street in Victoria. It was a new school year and I had been given a new geometry set, rulers and compasses and what have you. For whatever reason, I felt compelled to take the double-pointed protractor and draw a circle which looked like an eye. I did this near the head of my bed and instantly regretted it. I distinctly remember doing one circle, but I could not honestly tell you if I did the second one. Regardless, now something would stare at me while I was trying to sleep. This is the second house where I would need a sleep spaceship. Now, the strange thing is, I distinctly remember putting these eyes near the window, which would be on the right side of the wall. Over the course of a year or two, as kids do, I decided to move my bed from under the window to the other side of the room. I never noticed until we were packing up and moving that the eyes I had carved into the wall were past the centre mark and now closer to the left of the wall, moving to where I had moved my bed. I don't remember a lot about living in that house in Victoria, but I've never forgotten the carved in the wall eyes. Perfectly round. I really enjoy the podcast and the entertaining way you share information about paranormal subjects. Sorry this is so long. I honestly meant to say it's just a, hey, love your podcast, keep up the great work type of message. But just like me, this message is long-winded. <laughs> so thank you, Hurley. That's an old one from the from the archives. But I got to tell you, the last thing I want is eyes on my wall. <laughs> Any eyes anywhere. I don't, I, I don't want to be observed, period. Never mind by anything in or on the wall. So when I was reading Hurley's story, it ironically, as they mentioned about it shaking loose memories for them, it shook loose a memory for me of a story I read as a child in a newspaper that really quite spooked me out. Okay. And this was about a family who claimed that they bought uh, an oak wardrobe from a shop. This is this is like 40 odd years ago, this. Right. And it had got some knots in it, which if you, you know, a bit of uh, leeway, you could suggest that perhaps they looked a little bit like eyes. This family claimed that when they bought this wardrobe for their, I think it was for their daughter's bedroom, there was four knots in it. And they claimed over the period of the next 12 months, about 50 other knots appeared in the wardrobe to basically start creating eyes. So like little faces began to appear in the wardrobe doors. And so they, 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 um, they went to the Society for Psychical Research to help them investigate their wardrobe. And I don't think anybody followed up on it. But it, reading that story, re- that's the only kind of comparable thing I've ever come across where either somebody claiming that something has, a, a, an inanimate object has grown eyes to look at people or a pair of drawn eyes have moved around a room on their own volition. Aside from just the obvious, that's weird, but there's something really upsetting about the idea of more knots appearing in a piece of wood, like especially that many. That's like a, I don't know, I can't, there, there's a, maybe it's that, what's that, tryptophobia thing? Maybe that's what it is. I'm just kind of having a little bit of that because I definitely have that, but uh, I don't know. It's it's just a very disturbing image. Yep. Yep. I'm going to have to try and see if I can get to the bottom of it because 
It's one of those stories. I definitely remember reading it as a child in the paper. And and I'm I'm not sure I've seen anything about it since anywhere. So I'll have to do some digging because obviously I've come across all kinds of strange yeah. and often amusing stories about haunted furniture, like the haunted bunk beds and such like. Um, you know, clocks, tables. I, I don't think I've come across a haunted carpet yet, but you never know. Lamps, picture. There's a um, a, a crying girl story broke today in the UK. You know, the old oh, haunted really? pictures. Everybody used to say it was a crying boy. Now a family have bought a a, a a portrait of the crying girl that apparently has frightened everybody. And so they've given it to this charity shop. They've sold it. They've brought it. Somebody else has brought it back, claiming the same thing. So, um, yeah, haunted furniture seems to be in as we approach the end of summer. I wonder, I mean, the Newkirks seem more and more popular. And I, I know they've got the haunted objects thing. So I wonder if it's sort of a, an outgrowth of that. You know, more people are talking about it because more people are talking about them. Because I know their, their new film is coming out uh, soon, The Unbinding, as well. So I just have to imagine that's really going to... Uh, actually, I think it'll be out by the time this airs. They've, I think they've had a couple of premieres already. Yeah, I've, I've seen that. Uh, a few have happened. I don't know if it's entered, entered you know, wide release, but um, yeah, it's definitely definitely out in some markets. So I, I just kind of wonder if that's really pushed the concept of cursed furniture a little, like a little further into awareness. Well, maybe. I think for people like us, we are fully aware of the Newkirks and what they do. And I think often you can, and this is no detriment to, to Greg and Diana at all. I think sometimes you can overestimate people's appeal outside of their paranormal circle. Right. And so often I think the people, I would be very surprised if the people involved in this story that's broken today about this haunted picture, which to be fair, I, I, I'm... I doubt very much because there was never a curse of the crying. There was never a curse of the crying boy, you know. It was just a mass-produced portrait that was on inflam inflammable wood. That's why it never caught fire because it couldn't bloody burn. <laughs> but nobody, <laughs> so nobody mentions that fact of the story. You know, it was painted. It was on this special stuff that would, it was flame retardant. So right, you know, and a lot of houses that caught fire strangely used chip pans. Which did you have chip pans? Doesn't so basically, <laughs> in the UK, in, in the, the olden days, before we decided that we probably shouldn't eat everything cooked in Greece, essentially what you would do is you would fill a pan up on your hob and you would fill it with boiling oil. Well, you would fill it with oil and boil it so it was red hot and spitting. Okay. And then you would pour chips into it to cook them. And often, of course, people would put too much oil in. And then when they put the chips in, yeah, basic physics here, you get a bit of displacement. And incredibly, fat would overflow over the sides and catch fire. And then that kitchen would go. Poof. And in the vast majority of these houses that caught fire, obviously the story, strangely enough, started, was it in Rotherham? I think the first proper crying boy story came from Rotherham because it was one of the first stories that, David Clark covered when he was a journalist for the Sheffield Star. Oh, okay. So there's a bit of a Fortean connection with it, and he he's he's collected several of them. I've 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 touched some of David's crying boy portraits. And, oh, cool. And, and I've taken some pictures of them as well. It was quite funny as well because he fetched them to a conference, and people were going out of the way not to walk past them. Really? Even though we'd just done a talk about how it was all stuff and nonsense, people still empowered these these portraits with some kind of paranormal malevolence. <laughs>
Um, Speaking of malevolence, just yes. quickly, we 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 gave a shout out to Cryptees merch on the last mini show. We <laughs> fucked up the name. We called them Cryptid Tees. It's Cryptees, C R Y P T E S. I, I I realized that when I was looking at their Instagram account this morning. So yeah, if if you want a, a shirt, well, I don't think they're selling this one, but Paul <laughs> has a, a lovely shirt from Cryptees that says malevolent on it. <laughs> I bought a beautiful Sasquatch t-shirt from them. They are some wonderful designs for anyone who has a love of all strange creatures from both the paranormal and the cryptid world. So I, I recommend them. They are beautiful, original designs as well, and they uh, deserve your support if you're looking for some sexy new monster-themed clothing. And who among us isn't? Why not? He says wearing his uh, The Creature from the Black Lagoon t-shirt. <laughs> I'm wearing my uh, Brett Manning, uh, this is the, the fall shirt. I can't remember what it's called. But anyways, this, it was the first one I bought from her. I, I love it. Mm. Super Brett. Yes. yes. And also, if you, I assume you're, if you're listening to the show, you know who Brett is. But if you just on the off chance you're new to all this, also go follow Brett Manning on Instagram and buy her stuff. It's amazing. Uh, I intend to buy some more shirts once I'm making a little more money because uh, I, I have a couple. I have the um, a magenta and orange one from this limited run she did with uh, com- the the company. I think it's called Die with Your Boots On. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I ended I because I was significantly larger then. I bought them. They're they're huge. They're like boat sales on me now. <laughs> so I, when I've got a little more cash, I'm going to buy some buy some new slightly sized down mm. designs. But uh, that's that's neither here nor there. The, the thing I wanted to, to talk about with the David Clark thing and and the the portraits. I mean, that's that's such a powerful force, right? This idea that, that what we what we put on stuff. Yeah. And I, like, I think that is powerful in its own way. And, but I think it's different. Like when we talk about items that have like a bad history, or you know, there's a story Anthony has told on the show before about the jersey in a pawn shop up island that yeah. had a real unpleasantness attached to it. I think there's a real difference between those things and what David was talking about with those portraits. Because with the portraits and with shit like Annabelle, which of course is not real, um, we that's something we put on it. But I don't think that makes it powerful. I think it's just that is lore. But what we're talking about when things actually end up with imbued with something, I think that's something entirely different. And that is something I think you need to watch out for. Yes. Yeah. As as often these things often develop a life of their own. Yeah. Yeah. And but it's it's so it is hard to divine which is which, right? Because you have. So many people who are invested in selling you a story, right? About whatever it is, you know, because when it becomes an industry, you're going to have people like that. And that's how you end up with shit like the Dybbuk box. The what box? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Good. Let's leave that where it belongs. In the bin. (laughs) Along with the guy who owns it. Yes, I'd just like to give a shout out to the only true haunted doll in the world, and that's my good friend, Robert the Doll. Robert, thank you for your continued good fortune that you send my way. And me too, because if Paul's on board, then so am I. Thank you, Robert. Any doll that gets marijuana sent to him through the post from concerned visitors is all right in my book. Do you know this about Robert the Doll? I know Robert the Doll. I didn't realize people sent him weed. Yeah, people send him splits through the post. How do I get that job? <laughs> it's one of those strange things. I mean, I, I, did, I did an episode on Haunted Dolls well, with David Weatherly nearly four years ago now, Jesus. And um, we, we did a big thing on Robert the Doll. Um, and um, it's, it's not tongue-in-cheek. Um, David was very careful to, to make out that we should be very careful when we spoke about Robert, that we should give him the respect he deserves. And, and since then, 
and, and yeah, things have been all right for Mysteries and Monsters. So I've always got to, Robert's. Robert's all right in my book, but um, one of the amusing things was that people send Robert gifts, and they get a large amount of spliffs. They probably get about a twenty or thirty, obviously from uh, from unknown addresses around the yeah, US. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, to people saying to Robert, chill out. I mean, I guess I know people who tip pizza guys with weed, so why not a haunted doll? No one ever did that for me. Because I, I, I don't smoke weed that much, so I'm fine with that. But I, I had a friend who delivered pizza for a long time, and yeah, he used to get a lot. Sometime, one time he got a bunch of pills, and he just he turned them over to his co-workers. He's, they said, you know, you can sell these. He goes, no, I can't. Here, have fun. Merry Christmas. You know, enjoy. Yeah. enjoy this will get you through the rest of your shift. Yeah. But, uh, yeah Perhaps anyway. you should have dressed yourself as a sailor like Robert, and then, uh, then you would have. I feel like that's sending a very different message. Who knows? The potential is exciting, is it not? No. <laughs> no. A chill from Megan. Love the podcast. I wasn't sure if I wanted to send this in because people don't usually believe me, and then others are outright spooked. Well, Megan, you've come to the right place. Megan says, I worked in a historical building in Toronto, Ontario that has been converted for use over the years. The building was originally a courthouse, with a courtyard directly behind it, where people were hung after receiving the guilty charge. The basement of the building housed cells to hold prisoners and people on trial. The main floor was a courtroom, and the upper floor was a gallery for onlookers. My office was on the upper floor. I heard stories prior to working there, and it didn't bother me taking on the job. The maintenance manager said he'd always made sure he had keys on him to make noise, and never had any issues. He also told me to keep the lights on. I made sure to carry my keys wherever I went. Lights were another thing, because I'm all about conserving. The woman who left the job before me refused to set foot in the building because she kept hearing voices. I absolutely thought she was losing it. I started my job, which, by the way, was me in the building five days a week, completely alone 70% of the time. Shortly after starting, I heard the voices. The lower levels of the building had a restaurant, and if people stood in a specific area, the sound of the voices carried through the ductwork, and of course, by the time it got to me, were distorted. And nothing spooky there. The restaurant below decided to keep the jail cells and turn them into dry storage areas. Countless times, staff would come in to find fallen stock on the floor, and the row it came from pushed all the way forward from the back of the shelf. The cells would randomly slam shut with people grabbing stock, and also when no one was inside. I always thought this was interesting, and clearly some spirit was enjoying themselves. Back to my story. My office was on the upper floor, with a window overlooking the courtyard. There was an old access stairwell next to my office, and a grand stairwell on the other side of the building. Next to the landing on the grand stairwell was a restroom, with a few stalls. I frequently had to go down to the main floor to process payments and different things. The access stairwell was narrow, and the steps were carpeted. One day I needed to make a payment, but I had a lot of things to get done that day, so I was rushing through everything. I left my office and started briskly going down the stairs. I got about halfway down, and all of a sudden I was held mid-step against the wall for what felt like a long time, but I know wasn't. I quietly said, instinctively said, I'm sorry, and my feet returned to the step. I slowly went down the rest of the stairs and took the main stairwell back up. A few weeks later, our air conditioner broke down early in the week, so it was stifling to work in the office during the summer. I was walking through the main floor, and as I crossed an area over by the back entrance from the courtyard, there was a pocket of cold air. 
I looked above me to see where the vents were, and there was nothing but light fixtures. I continued out of the back entrance and ran into the maintenance manager. I asked him if he was working on the air conditioner, and he hadn't even gone near it yet today as he was waiting on replacement parts to come in. I noticed this chill in the air a few more times, but left it alone. On a calm, overcast day, I was at the office and needed to relieve my bladder, but I also wanted to finish the task I was working on. By the time I was done, my body was screaming at me to go, so to speak, so I ran across the balcony floor to the multi-stall restroom by the grand stairwell. I didn't bother closing the door behind me, and I went into the first stall. I didn't lock the door of the stall either, because no one else was in the building that day. As I was relieving my bladder, I heard the loudest thing of my life. I swear my urine went back up inside me. It was scratches going down the wooden stall door. I jumped up from the toilet, pulled up my pants, and burst out of the restroom. I looked outside for an answer to the noise, but there was nothing. Not a gust moving a tree, or even vehicles or people around. Let's just say I never used that restroom again. Not even to flush that toilet. Megan shared a second story with us that we're going to save for another time. Uh, for now, we're just, we're just going to talk about that one. And Paul, I got to say, you know, that, that really kind of uh, hit home for me because of all the weird shit that's been happening in my house lately. Uh, of course, as I mentioned uh, previously, you know, Nick heard what she thought was a cat in the tub. Uh, and there was nothing in there. And then the other day, she, or the other night rather, she woke up because she thought she heard one of our cats climbing up on the bureau. And this, which was the sound of, of claws. And it was very much in the room. It wasn't in the wall or anywhere, but it was just in the, and there, it wasn't either of the cats. And then the other night I was lying on the couch and I, I as I mentioned, I haven't been sleeping very well. So it was about 11 o'clock and I just thought, fuck it, I'm just going to stay here on the couch. I'm not going to go out. I'm just going to lay here, you know, read a book and, and fall asleep. And there was a bang on the wall separating the bedroom from the, uh, the living room. It was either the, the door or the wall or the window, but it was very, very loud. And it, it didn't reverberate. It was just a very firm impact on either the wall or the window. And I can't remember if I mentioned this to you, but I went and asked the landlord if maybe she had heard of other people having this issue because maybe there's a squirrel in the wall, something like that, right? Unlikely, but you know, we, we've heard what mice sound like in our walls. It's not that, but maybe a squirrel. It's unlikely to be a raccoon. They're pretty big. You'd hear more, but maybe a squirrel. And she said, there's a woman across the hallway down a ways that has been having something, some scratching, but she's pretty sure it's a squirrel. And then she mentions there's a woman up on the third floor who's also been having issues. But of course, the third floor is nowhere near where we are. And I said, well, what kind of issues? And the, the, the manager says, well, when she's out of the house, I hear what sounds like furniture being moved. And I thought, I don't think that's a fucking squirrel. So very, very strange things around here and it just sounds a lot like what what megan was dealing with yeah i do like um any kind of uh modern establishment that leaves spooky original fittings in place and i think jail cells are certainly one of them oh yeah that that would be a very cool place to i mean i wouldn't want to work in a restaurant because i'm not i don't have the patience uh nor the the uh, stamina but uh i, I think <laughs> if i did i would want to work well not in one that had old jail cells for dry storage absolutely yeah 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 Clearly, somebody wasn't happy in the way that they were uh, storing products there, clearly. <laughs> First in, last out. Come on, you know this. Absolutely. Stop rotation. It's important even in the afterlife. I, I got to say too, Megan, your experience sounds so much like mine in my old office uh, when I worked back when I worked for Cortex Consultants, which I, 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 don't, I probably named them before, but they're, 
no longer in business. Uh, or they sold to a larger company, I guess I should say. So I can say that now. But um, yeah, I was an office manager for six and a half years in this in that haunted building, and it was like that. I was alone most of the time, and yeah, shit happened. We didn't have the cold spots, but we just had just weirdness, which I've talked about on the show many, many, many times. And I couldn't do it again, Paul. I couldn't work all by myself again. I mean, I guess that's what I do for this job. But, you know, if I was going to have like a day job, I couldn't, it couldn't be working by myself again. I don't, I, I think it would mess me up. I think it messed me up before, but I think now it would really do damage. Hmm. No, I suppose it is. I mean, I, I mean, I do four days a week on my own, really. Right. But I'm, uh, I'm only a team's message away from my colleagues. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. I mean, my, my colleagues were, some of them were reachable, some of them weren't, you know, they were all kind of scattered even before telework was a big thing that, you know, they were still kind of scattered all over BC. Uh, mm-hmm. One of them, I think was working down at Palo Alto at that point as well. So it was a very kind of strange setup, but anyways, regardless, um, something I, I want to get this on record though, cause you and I were talking about this in the break. And, and I think this is something listeners would be interested in hearing. So repeat for the folks at home, whether you think it is possible time travelers are among us. Theoretically, time travel is possible, but if anybody came from the future and claimed, hello, I'm from 2317, they would be probably escorted to the nearest secure facility. Yeah. I mean, it has been a running joke for for a long time, and you know, the vast majority of people who either used to ring our bell up or appear in, in very dubious newspapers claiming to be from the future and have proof, which often seems to be photographs, which always makes me scratch my head and think, well, what, what, uh, a photo, photograph's back in fashion now? Is, 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 <laughs> are, are they for time travellers or hipsters? Is that what we're, we're finding out? Have they got a bag full of vinyl with them as well? Some cassettes? I have this, this typewritten memo from the future, this mimeographed letter from the future. <laughs> I fetched a telegram from the future. <laughs> Getting in my space car. Stop. (laughs) Flying to the moon. Stop. Bloody aliens are back again. Stop. (laughs) Klaatu has blocked the sink with his alien gunk. Stop. (laughs) Oh, he's got to stop that. We've talked about that over and over. We're going to have to have a house meeting. (laughs) Even Basement Monster is done with Klaatu's bullshit. Yeah, I don't blame them. It's It's not pleasant. You have to get a plunger on it and everything. That's it. Needs more than toilet duck, that stuff. I mean, it, it, is, it is physically, it is theoretically possible. And therefore, theoretically, if we look at what we know about the universe 100 years ago compared to what we know now, they are basically, any, any physicist from 1900 would think if you looked at the work being done around the world that we were magicians. Sure. Because, they, you know, imagine showing them the Large Hadron Collider now. To somebody like, I mean, somebody probably like Tesla would would be able to comprehend it, and Einstein certainly. But I would imagine the vast majority of people who were working in in physics and astrophysics at that, you know, a hundred years ago, would look at everything going on around the world now as though they were, as though it was a child meeting Father Christmas for the first time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They'd have no comprehension of it. I mean, any form of modern technology, if you take it back to its infancy would astound the person that invented it. Yeah, well, what's that? Is it Arthur C. Clarke who said any sufficiently advanced technology could, would be considered as magic or something like yes. that? Yeah. Any significantly advanced technology would appear like magic to us. That's and it. it would yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It would do. Um, and, it, and it does. And when you have the great thinkers of our, of our 
of our era and our, our millennium who are able to look at these subjects in a balanced manner without sort of promoting a particular ideology or saying it's all bunkum and, and nonsense. There is, you know, there's a lot of them. People are trying to do these things. You know, there are scientists around the world, as we have this conversation, who are driven to create time travel of some form. And it will happen. It's just a question of when. Well, then there's the argument, though, if time travel could have been invented, we'd have met them already. How do we know we haven't? That's it. And that's, that's what I was saying to you off air was, I think if time travel has been invented, the only people who are coming back are the Biff Tannen Back to the Future <laughs> 2 types, because those are the only ones we would, we would put up with. Because you could bet on all the sports games you want, and no one's going to bat an eye. As long as you don't win too much, no one's going to bat an eye. And you can make yourself nice and rich, maybe uh, have a gold-plated toilet in a penthouse on Fifth Avenue, uh, get yourself elected president one day, and do whatever you want. But if you come back and try and improve people, you try and, and, and tell them like, hey, watch out, you know, September 10th, maybe everyone should just have a, you know, have a duvet day the following morning. They're just going to look at you and go, well, you've got something to do with this, Buster. And it's going to be real bad news for you. So I think if there are time travelers, the only ones who are going to be around are bastards. There are people out there who theorize that the great inventors over, over history were time travelers who were stuck in the era that they became known to us in. People like Galileo and Michelangelo and Archimedes. Interesting. I didn't. I've never heard that. You can find it if you if you can be bothered to fall down a particular rabbit hole, which makes you question your own sanity. I thought you were going to say fall down live. the stairs. I'm like, yeah, that that well, I you believe. might as well. To be honest, <laughs> you probably got a better grasp on reality than some of these people pushing these ideas forward. It, you know, as as with the ancient aliens, you know, it's just oh. an insult to an insult to the intellect. Throughout history and culture, there will always be people that stand like titans amongst the, their contemporaries. Just because people are incredibly intelligent and clever does not mean that they are not from the era that they were born in. You know, it happens now. Yeah, they, they have a podcast. <laughs> and they're ending the third segment right now. <laughs> An American in Essex from Laura. Here is my true paranormal story. I've been plagued with the paranormal. In my 54 years, I have seen full opaque apparitions, been touched and had electrical anomalies surround me based on my mood. I am an animal welfare advocate. I have a strong empathy and love for animals and they can sense it. But being sensitive, I am particularly plagued by negative spirits which want me to fail, lose my faith and hurt myself. My story I share with you today takes place in London, England, in the year 2000. In my early 30s, I went there to see if my then-boyfriend and I could make a go of it before deciding to get married. Towards the end of my two years living in the east end of London with my friend Roger, I was preparing to return to the Bay Area Peninsula in California, my home. Throughout my stay in England, I sensed many strong residual emotions leeching out of the ancient stone and wood castles, keeps and cathedrals. I felt the fear, grief and nausea from many who had lived lives more illustrious yet shorter than mine. Sometimes, just resting in my flat, I'd hear the sound of dozens of horse hooves marching down the street. Animal lover that I am, I'd rush outside to see many beautiful horses, but would not see them only able to hear their many hooves clip-clopping before me. My flat was somewhere near the old Roman road, which made these occasions even more eerie. 
I had only a couple more days to sightsee and revisit my favourite haunts around England. I visited my usual favourites, the Tower of London, Trafalgar Square, Westminster Abbey and a perfume shop I frequented, mainly because the owner's cat was there all day and I'd get my cuddles in that way. By a delightful accident I got to see the HMTQ Elizabeth II. I was on cloud nine after that. I crossed over the Thames to Southwark Cathedral to visit the tomb of Shakespeare and see the Globe Theatre. I had just left the cathedral and was standing on the curb waiting for traffic to thin out to cross the street. I shouldn't have been attempting to jaywalk, but blah blah blah. I stepped off the curb to the street. No sooner did I do that than when I felt a hand tightly grip the back of my sweater and coat and yank me backwards onto the curb. A sports car zipped right by me, just where I would have been walking. I instantly turned to thank whoever it was that had protected me from being struck. But there was no one there. This was my experience with a caring, kind spirit. Two nights before leaving London, however, was quite another story. Two nights before my flight home, I experienced a spine-chilling incident. Roger and I lived in a small flat above a row of shops on Mungo Park Road in Elm Park, Essex, just in the east of London. It was a cosy apartment, a bedroom and an open-plan kitchen and living room. I'm nocturnal and Roger snores, so my habit was to throw the cushions from the couch onto the green carpet floor near the radiator. I'd sleep curled up there for warmth like a hamster bundled up in a duvet and pillows. I loved listening to the fierce howling wind outside the windows, or the pacifying gentle honks from the geese flying by. Roger had gone to bed at his usual hour of 10pm. At around 2am I made up my bed on the living room floor and tried to get some sleep. But this night I was disturbed by rustling sounds coming from the kitchen, maybe only eight feet away. It sounded like somebody crumbling aluminum foil over and over again. Could there be a mouse in the kitchen? I was too scared to look. I just tried to ignore the strange crinkling noises so I could hopefully drift off to sleep. And then it happened. Someone else had appeared in the room. Still awake, my eyes still closed. I felt a dark being standing at the foot of my bedding. Tall, black, flapping wings. Black wings. Don't look, not of this earth, I told myself. It will drive you insane if you look at it. Yet, with my mind's eye, I could make out a mental impression of its image. Hefty, solid black, almost greyish matte black, like it had been carved out of a huge block of licorice. And its face the kind of demon one expects it to look like, with a grimacing, odious sneer. Its wings moved slowly, nonchalantly. I felt again that frightening, familiar tingling sensation at the nape of my neck. Spirit-body separation, like Velcro being pulled apart, like my soul being ripped from me. I had experienced scary astral moments a couple of times before. But now I lie awake in the darkness, soul and body together, listening, feeling the cool, oscillating draught from hovering, beating wings. Those ungodly black wings are getting closer. What does it want? Dope open your eyes, I kept repeating to myself. Not human this time, evil. I kept my eyes tightly shut. I knew it was staring right at me, leering, waiting to do what? I screamed, but no sound came from my throat until the last wisp of breath left my mouth. Instantly, a dark shadow leaned over me. 
I felt Roger kneeling next to my left shoulder, his loving hands stroking and soothing my forehead. I felt his cool breath on my face and neck. Twinkle, have you taken your painkillers? he asked. I submitted to his tender caresses, but confused and terrified I didn't answer. I hadn't heard Roger's bedroom door open. How could he have made no noise, pass by a demon, and be so quickly by my side? I stayed reclined on my bedding next to Roger, kneeling next to me, luxuriating in his comforting, calming caresses on my forehead. But then, I heard a violent crash and a blood-curdling scream come from Roger's bedroom. It jolted me. I sat bolt upright and opened my eyes. I was alone. Roger had disappeared the second I opened my eyes, and his bedroom door was still closed. The scream had come from him, from inside his room. I got up and rushed to the bedroom door, opened it, and found Roger on the floor. He had been thrown far from his bed by some force. A long red gash cut across his back. Something had badly scratched or attacked him. I helped Roger back to bed and held him. He swore he hadn't heard me scream, that he hadn't even knelt over me, stroked my face, or spoken to me. I returned to the Bay Area Peninsula. I love England, but I don't know if or when I will ever return. I left Roger after his true colours showed through. Rather, I escaped with my life, my backpack full of clothes and my laptop. The paranormal still follows me wherever I live, so geography doesn't matter. I deliberately live a life of quiet peacefulness, hoping never to be confronted by evil ever again, either in flesh or supernatural form. Thank you for sharing my experience. So that's a lot, man. Holy shit. Nothing in the East End of London surprises me, Governor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, well, where this event takes place is in uh, is in the suburb known as Hornchurch. I know exactly. Elm Park has a tube station. Oh, okay. So it's it's right as as you're getting out, it's past Dagenham, on your way out to the very edge, into the uh, into the Essex area, and Hornchurch is a very haunted place. Oh, okay. So it's 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 not just uh, her experience. This this is a, a part of a larger trend. Yeah, Hornchurch has numerous ghosts. We've got horses, strangely enough, ghostly horses seen, highwaymen, okay. uh, ghostly monks who, uh, one famous event, they were bothering a family that ran a pub, I think it was, and they kept bothering them every night. And the landlord said to the monk, it was a monk in a brown habit, which is quite unusual. Usually they're just described as wearing black. And he said, if, if you are supernatural proof to me, and apparently all the buttons on his waistcoat popped off. Okay, well, you asked. And then he decided to go back downstairs and leave. Fair, I probably would do the same. So uh, Hornchurch is very haunted. Um, and I would advise anybody who wants to know more about Strange Essex, there is a podcast called Eerie Essex, which is run by two fabulous researchers called Bethany and Elisa. Um, so if you ever want to know about the numerous strange locations in and around Essex, those ladies are the best guides to find them. Fabulous. Very cool. Well, we'll I'll try to remember to put a link to uh, Eerie Essex in the show notes. And I, I was really struck in this one by the wings, the, the notion of wings. And there's a few things that, that came to mind. One of them is I, I couldn't find it before we, before we went to air, but I have a book. It's a collection of experiences that kind of revolve around the anthropomorphization of death. 
So people seeing a, a winged creature kind of coming to them in the t when they when something is dying or when they themselves are about to die, they don't, it's almost like they, in whether it's a hallucination or whether it is a physical embodiment of something. Yeah. Uh, some of the stories were similar to what was experienced here. But then I was cruising around Reddit and I found another story of someone who I think they were in Asia. But basically the, the short version is um, three or four nights ago, I was so sick I couldn't sleep. Looking out the window from his condo, uh, they could see, you know, it was quite a bit of light. They saw something that had two tightly folded wings. It was a dark shape. It was overlapping the branch. And they looked at it for maybe 10 minutes to try and figure out what it was. And basically it looked like a giant creature with folded wings just perching across from them. Yeah, so sorry, yeah, they said Southeast Asia and the biggest bird here is an average sized eagle. And someone tried to explain it away as being a ropin, which you say is total nonsense. <laughs> and I would love for you to expand on that. Okay, let's open the box of madness that surrounds. The ropin is not the only creature. And this was something I discovered from my sort of absence from my real interest in cryptozoology. So most people, this might sound a bit of a strange introduction to the Ropen, but most people will have heard of Michele and Bembe, which is allegedly these brontosaurus creatures that live in the Congo in Africa. And so people over the last 100, 150 years have gone there, still go there looking for these alleged dinosaurs. The Ropen is of a similar tack because the Ropen is allegedly a pterosaur. It's supposed to be like a pteranodon or something like that. However, the majority of people who are promoting this are in a field that I did not know existed until five years ago, which is creationism cryptozoology. Oh, no. So these creatures are promoted by certain researchers who believe that by proving the existence of dinosaurs in the modern era, it gives credence to the theory of creationism. And therefore, right. both of these creatures are entirely linked by the fact that the majority of people who have pushed them in the modern era are creationists. Right. The other aspect of this is that the locals call any large bird a ropen. It is a local oh. term for a large bird. Oh, okay. It is misappropriating local dialect mixed with a dash of religious fever and um, ignorance in regards to basic animal biology. Woof. Wow. There you go. And we thought that uh, the people we were talking about on the last episode were idiots. But mm. this, is, uh, this is like punching through the, the bottom into hell and finding out that there's a second floor. Indeed. However, however, I have something far more interesting that may add a little bit of value to the story we've just heard, rather than wasting any more time on creationist theories of monsters. So this comes from Philip Mantle's incredible UK UFO landings book that came out last year. Okay. And this was an event that happened in Sandling Park, Kent, in 1963. So, in 1963, four British teenagers saw a UFO land in a nearby forest. 
but what would haunt them for the rest of their lives was the bizarre bat-like beast that apparently came out of it. On that chilly autumn evening, John Flaxton, Mervyn Hutchinson and two other youthful friends were walking home from a party on Sandling Road in the county of Kent. The unusual self-illuming ovoid object appeared above them. They watched it for several minutes as it flew down. It was a few metres in diameter and began to hover above the fields near them. Eventually it made its way behind the trees and settled into the foliage of the woods at Sandling Park. While they were still reeling from their astonishing sighting, something more unbelievable grabbed their attention. Moments after the craft had apparently landed, the teens noticed a shaking in the bush, and what appeared was one of the most unique creatures ever chronicled in ufology. Later, the eyewitnesses who were horrified described how an erratic, shambling, quasi-humanoid figure emerged from the woods and waddled towards them. The beast looked like a headless bat and was approximately five feet tall. It had large webbed feet and wings protruding from its back. In Hutchinson's own words, it said, It didn't seem to have any head. There were just huge wings on its back, like bat wings. The group of friends, understandably overwhelmed with terror and adrenaline, sprinted away from the freakish bat thing and made their way to the nearest police station, telling their tale to the officers who were working that evening. Flixton would later state he had felt cold all over during the episode. So, that led to a whole raft of people turning up, looking for this strange thing, and there is this wonderful image that one of them described of what they saw. Oh, weird. Like a black shower curtain on legs. Yeah, I was going to say it looks like a duvet on legs. Yeah, yeah or, or that, yeah, or that, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's essentially it. So, yeah, now... I once saw somebody try and dismiss this as somebody ripping off the Mothman until somebody who was listening to this gubbins said, you do know this happened three years before Mothman, don't you? And they went, no, it didn't. And he went, well, as far as I'm aware, 1963 came before 1966. And they didn't talk about that anymore. Oh, How I'm weird. shocked. I thought I'd, I'd pull that one from my from my library because I just thought, you know, we don't hear enough about that. And, and, and it's one of my favourite stories from the 60s here in the UK, primarily because that creature is so bloody odd. Yeah, that's, that is so, I've never heard of anything like that. Mm. That was my big surprise, I promised you. I am suitably surprised. And while Laura, I don't know that this is going to shed any additional light on your story, I, I hope it gives you at least some context or, or some relief knowing you're not the only one. Yeah, I would, I would suggest Laura Drops... Uh, the, the ladies at Eerie Essex a message because they're, they're, you know, they've done workshops, they go around and do sort of open sessions where people can turn up and tell them their stories. So if anybody knows anything similar to that particular area, the Eerie Essex ladies are probably the best person to, to send them an email and find out if they can put any more context to Laura's sighting. Message from the other side from Darlene. This will be our last story for tonight. Just some backstory so this makes sense. I come from a large family with lots of kids, and it was easy to get lost in the mix. Luckily, my mom came from a small family, and we were the only grandchildren. I was particularly close to my grandpa. I think what really made my grandpa different was he never talked down to us, even when we were young. He always had time to listen, and would sit for hours, sharing stories about his life, and he was generally interested in our lives. He always encouraged me, even when no one else did, to pursue my passions and goals. Needless to say, I still miss him even though it's been 10 years since he passed away. 
just a little more history, and then my dream. I also had one uncle on my mom's side of the family who was a lifelong bachelor with no children, so naturally all of us had a closer relationship to him than any of our other aunts and uncles. Sadly, in 2020, he took his own life. I spent the next year sorting through his personal effects and papers. He was a writer and teacher, so he was on my mind constantly for a long time. Due to multiple issues, I'm in the process of losing my business of 14 years, and the stress of this has taken a substantial physical and emotional toll on me. This past December, I was working long, terrible hours, and was feeling particularly down. One night, I had what started out to be a nightmare at first. I dreamed there was an intruder in our home, and was trying to call out to my husband that someone was in our house, but I was paralyzed, like you get with sleep paralysis, where you can neither speak nor move. But this was so intense, like nothing I had ever experienced before. I used to regularly experience sleep paralysis as a teen, so I'm quite familiar with that. This was different. Suddenly, in my dream, a tall figure was standing in our bedroom doorway. It was my deceased uncle. He simply stated, Don't worry, it's just me. It was definitely his voice and his silhouette. After he spoke, he was just gone. Then it gets even more bizarre. The whole atmosphere just changed. It's like all the intense fear and terror I was feeling was sucked out of my room, and my grandpa was sitting next to me on my bed. He stroked my hair and said, Everything is going to be okay. I don't know how long he stayed there. He did not say or do anything else, just sat with me. I feel like I woke up shortly after and I was wide awake for the rest of the night. I seldom dream and have never had a deceased person appear to me in a dream before. I think my grandpa came, of all people, because I remember him sharing with me as a teenager the story of his adventure of owning his own business and subsequently losing his business a few years later. As a child, I was not capable of understanding the complexity and depth of what that must have been like for him, but he must have understood what I was going through. It's still hard to believe this really happened, but when I think back to that night, I still become emotional and feel a little less insignificant, like everything will be okay. Thanks for letting me share. Appreciate you guys so very much. Darlene. And Darlene, I really wanted to end on that story because it, it is just so beautiful. Um, I, I am sorry about your business. I've been through that. I know what that's like. As I've said before on this show, uh, in 2017, I invested in a, in a business and uh, it went out of business in 20, or 2016. I invested in the business and it went out of business in 2018. Watching it fail was very difficult and I lost a lot of money. Uh, it's kind of it suffered financial damage that I'm still repairing. It's taken me a long time to repair it. Um, and I, I remember just feeling so fucking mad. I was so mad back then, Paul. I was so mad at my business partners because they wouldn't listen to reason. You know, they, they, they knew best. They knew best. And uh, so, no, uh, Darlene, I, I, I understand some degree of what you're going through. And, and I hope that you're, uh, I know it's been a few months now. I hope you're, you know, you're feeling better and uh, that's become easier for you because, yeah, it's, it's a difficult thing to to process. It's it's embarrassing. It's frustrating. It's yeah, physically or uh, financially brutal. Uh, and so yeah, I, I sympathize. I think as with Darlene, with numerous stories, and it has kind of made me look at Laura's story a little bit different, which I'll I'll kind of get to when I think about that. Often, when people are going through traumatic experiences and they've they've lost a dearly beloved relative, there are moments some people may dismiss them as 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 dreams 
or fantasies that seem to be real, that these loved friends or relatives come back to help us or, or comfort us when we need it the most. I am a big believer in the fact that on certain occasions, if people are in a emotional state where they don't feel like they've anywhere left to go or things feel hopeless, that occasionally that can prick the paranormal into coming to their aid, even if it's as simple as sitting on somebody's bed and giving them a hug. And I think for Darlene, that was what she needed at that particular part of her life, whether she she realised it or not. And that kind of brings me back to Laura's story, because the more I've thought about it, the more I've thought, well, what if that thing wasn't there to hurt her? It was there to protect her. Right, because the, the partner turned out not to be the person she thought he was. Yeah, because if he could assault a man asleep in a bed and leave a big red gash on his back, it could have snapped her like a twig, one would presume. And it of didn't. Course. It just chose to gently caress her and soothe her. Yeah. As though it was protecting her. So I think that, yes, it probably was a bit frightening, but once again... Why didn't it attack Laura, who seemed frightened of its presence, and yet the person who she was unaware of their reality of of who they really were, perhaps this thing knew exactly what they were and just wanted to uh, remind them that somebody or something out there was fully aware of Roger's plans. I think you might be onto something, man. It's one of those things where they can't communicate to us directly for whatever reason, so they maybe approach it in sort of an oblique way and try and notify us. I mean, obviously, the one with with the family, that's more direct, but, I mean, who's to say where the vision of the the bird or the the creature came from? Who's to say, you know, what spawned that or or what caused that? But, yeah, the idea that it had a protective effect, you know, we talk about this so often, how we always go towards the spooky interpretation, right? Because that's kind of where everyone's head is at, you know, it's scary, but there's nothing aside from the presence of it being scary. And who knows, it may have been a fearsome thing, but simply because something is fearsome does not mean it is dangerous to everyone. Absolutely. How do we know that that wasn't what pulled her back onto the curb as well? Yeah, that's, that's, oh, that's a great point. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. Both happened in the same location. Yeah. Maybe Black Wings is looking out for her. Absolutely. Just because it looks frightening doesn't mean it is. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, no, you make a great point, man. Interesting. Okay. One last thing before we go out. Um, we had a listener pop something uh, in an email to us, and I, you and I were talking about this off air. I obviously, on 169, I talked about my weird experience with those kids, or you not know, kids, they weren't kids. They were young men in their 20s, asking me a weird question on the street corner. And uh, they asked, I thought they were saying, do you know Bert and Dirt? But our listener, June sent us an email and she thinks, and I think she's right, they were saying, do you know Bert and Gert? Bert and Gert were a pair of animated rabbits who were used in PSAs on Canadian television in, I believe, the 80s and 90s about stranger danger. They warned you about situational awareness. You know, don't don't get into cars with strangers. Don't go down a dark alley by yourself. Stick with your friends. And I think she's right. I think, and which makes me think, I mean, some people have said this actually makes them think even more. This was something sinister. 
I almost think this was more, you know, sort of, uh, that makes me think it was more of a prank of some description, which was kind of my thought anyways, but uh, I don't know. It's just, uh, it was very strange, but I, I when as soon as, as soon as June said that, I thought, son of a bitch, that's exactly what it was. Yeah, it could be very similar to uh, something something else young people may be fully aware of, which is uh, Wayne's World. You know, a sphincter says what? <laughs> well, thank you to everyone who wrote in. We really, really love hearing your messages. Uh, again, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com is the best place to send your stories. I know we've got some waiting for me in the Instagram inbox. I haven't gotten to them yet. But again, email is the best place to submit stories. And uh, we'll do our best to get them on an upcoming show. And th- I think this episode might have been a little shorter than usual, but uh, we're, we are recording a bunch of shows, as I mentioned, in advance to, uh, to make sure we have coverage during the... Well, it's not really a holiday, but the time that it's more difficult for me to record. So we are going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Hey there, listeners. Before you reach for that skip 15 seconds ahead button, I promise you this isn't an ad. We wanted to take a minute to talk to you about mental health. On this show, I've always tried to be as honest and open as possible about my struggles with depression and anxiety, because even though we've come a long way towards acknowledging the very real damage these things can do, there is still way too much lingering stigma about reaching out for help. And when you start to feel like there's no help, it's easy to start feeling like there's no hope. But Paul has joined me today to remind you there is always hope and there's always help. We're not going to try and talk you out of self-harming right now because we know that's not how it works. Instead, what we wanted to do was tell you something now and hope that should things get bad, you'll remember it and make a phone call or send a text message before you make any permanent decisions. As someone who knows all too well just how important mental health can be. It's never too late to reach out. In Canada, the number to call is 133-456-4566. In the USA, the new number to call is 988. That's 988. In the UK, the number to call is 116-123. Or text SHOUT. That's S-H-O-U-T. To 85258. In Australia, the number to call is 131114. However bad shit seems, it will pass. And no matter what your brain might be telling you at any given moment, and believe me when I say I know this intimately, there are people who love you and people who care deeply about how you treat yourself. Should a time come when you find yourself despairing, Please know that we've both been where you are, and there is a way back to the world. Take care. Welcome back. Thanks, as always, to Luke, Sarah, Anthony, Joseph, and now Adam, the latest addition to the Ghost Story Guys family. Adam, who you, of course, know from the podcast Weekly Creep, co-hosted with Dulce. Adam is doing our YouTube editing for us. So if you ever wanted to watch me and Paul tell stories instead of just listening to us, head to our YouTube page. You'll find a link in the show notes. Also, don't forget to check out Luke's podcast, Luke Lore, available everywhere fine podcasts live. And Joseph is the host of The Cardinal Rule, which is a show about Arizona Cardinals football. And of course, thanks to you, my friend and co-host, the one, the only, 
the inimitable Paul Bestel, the paranormal Johnny Carson himself, host of Mysteries and Monsters. What's coming up on Eminem, Paul? Well, I have the wonderful return of uh, my good friend, paranormal investigator and psychic John Russell, joining me from Florida as he laughs at my horrible weather that I was suffering from when we had a conversation as he sips bourbon in the afternoon on his porch in Florida, as one should do. I, I recommend it at John's age. So we have a real good talk about that. We cover some of the investigations he's done, his positive paranormal aspects that he likes to focus on. And also we dive into a couple of wonderful ghost cat stories that John has experienced personally with one of his most beloved cats, Gizmo, that he lost, who came back to make sure he knew he was okay on the other side. Oh, I do like stories like that. Yeah, it's lovely. So uh, we've covered it before, but I wanted... Uh, I've had a couple of people ask me if John had, if John ever came back to mention it again, so I, I had to pin him down because it, it, it's a story that always makes me smile when he talks about it. It's such a lovely story. And where can everyone find you online? You can find me and the show by looking for Mysteries and Monsters across all social media networks and podcast platforms. Fabulous. I'm Largely the Truth on Instagram, Threads, and Blue Sky. And you can find my other podcast, Weird Together, a horror movie review show co-hosted by Joseph Camo. Weird Together is everywhere fine podcasts live. And again, I'm on Threads, Instagram, and Blue Sky. You can find the show itself on Facebook. We also have a group called The Ghost Story Guys. Finally have a group. And we're on Instagram. As we said at the top of the show, we could not do this without our patrons. And so thank you, thank you, thank you. We genuinely appreciate it. If you want to join the team, head to patreon.com slash ghost story guys or head to apple podcasts and subscribe to gsg premium again we've seen a wonderful surge in signups over on apple podcasts thank you to everyone who signs up if you sign up there too forward us your confirmation definitely via email uh, and we will shout you out in the patron shout outs at the top of the show so thank you to everyone who signed up and of course you get bonus shows we're retiring most of our physical rewards but you get so many bonus shows bonus conversations live streams with me and paul um, lots of cool stuff. And again, that's all at patreon.com slash ghost story guys, or on GSG premium via Apple podcasts. If you want to pick up some ghost story guys, merch, head to our website at ghoststoryguys.com. Again, that's ghoststoryguys.com. You'll also find full show notes there for every episode. Shout out to our composer, Jerry Smith. Jerry is a musician and film journalist from central California. His latest project street, Witch, is on streaming platforms everywhere. And I guess that's going to do it. Well, We'll be back in two weeks, but until then... Into the darkness we go. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.